listening to the podcast of Village Church in Burbank, California. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. We're getting back into the Sermon on the Mount after about three weeks off. You know, we've dealt with uh, Palm Sunday and then we had Good Friday service and then we had Easter Sunday last week, had two full services, a lot of new faces. It was a wonderful weekend. And, you know, I just can't think of any better way to uh, capitalize on the momentum of Easter weekend than to talk this weekend about fasting, everyone's favorite subject. So let's talk about going without food. <laughs> uh, fasting, but that is the uh, topic that we're picking up as we've just been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount, we find it in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. We're right in the middle of chapter 6, and this is exactly where we left off. So let's look at Matthew chapter 6, three verses, verses 16 through 18. <clears throat> Jesus says, and whenever you fast... Do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may, not, may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay, so in this chapter, I don't wanna do a full recap of the whole Sermon on the Mount, but just recently where we've been in the last three or four passages, Jesus takes three spiritual disciplines that are by themselves, they are good practices. They're good disciplines that Jesus himself practiced. And he gives teaching on these three practices. They are giving. We've talked about that about a month ago. Prayer, we dealt with that as well. And then now we're looking at the, the practice of fasting. So giving, prayer, and fasting. Jesus talks about each of these three practices. But what he tells us is that there's a good and healthy way to engage in these things. But there's also an unhealthy way to approach these things. And in each of these three teachings, on each of these three practices, there's a common word in each of this, the passages. And it's the word hypocrites. Jesus says, I don't want you to give like the hypocrites give. I don't want you to pray as the hypocrites pray. Don't fast as the hypocrites fast. Now, what is, again, what is this issue of hypocrisy? What is a hypocrite? And what I, what I need you to understand, and what I think will help you to understand, is that hypocrisy is not just simply failing to meet a certain standard you've set. Like, you know, I, my goal is I wanna pray every day. I wanna have a time of prayer every single day. And then all of a sudden later you realize, man, I haven't been living up to that. I haven't been praying as often as I want to pray. Listen to me, that does not make you a hypocrite. That's just, that's just failure, and that's part of being a human being. All of us fail, but that's not hypocrisy. The word hypocrite, if you remember from a few weeks ago, the word hypocrite is 
as it is a Greek word. It comes right out of the Greek language. It's untranslated. And it's, it's taken from the world of Greek theater. It has to do with actors who wear a mask. They're portraying a part um, and performing for the sake of an audience, for the sake of those who are watching the performance. That's what a hypocrite is. And, and so religious hypocrisy, if I were to define it, is going about our religious deeds and our religious practices as a performance to be seen, in order to be seen by others. And Jesus says, I don't want you to approach it that way. I don't want you to go about these practices in order to be seen by others. Now, the solution to religious hypocrisy is not to abstain from these practices and say, well, I don't wanna pray like the hypocrites, I don't wanna give and fast like the hypocrites, so I'm just not gonna do these things. Actually, I want you to notice a pattern in each of these teachings that Jesus gives here. He expects that you're actually going to do these things. Like notice, he doesn't say if you give, he says when you give. He didn't say if you pray, he says when you pray. He didn't say if you fast, he says when you fast. So Jesus assumes that if you're going to follow him in his way of doing life, and make him the teacher of your life, the master, the Lord of your life, that these are practices to some degree you are going to engage in because this is what disciples of Jesus do. It's just the same if you're taking piano lessons. You know, your piano teacher is gonna expect that there are some chords and some scales that you're gonna embrace and learn. So if Jesus is our teacher, there are certain practices we're gonna engage in, and the ones that he mentions here in chapter six, these are among those practices. But the way that we engage in these practices rightly is we recognize that they are not to be done in order to be noticed by others. Now, it may be that people do notice them, but that's not why we do them. We do them because our Father, we know, sees in secret. And it's interesting, in each of these three teachings about giving prayer and fasting, he ends it the same way. He says, your father who sees in secret will reward you. So there's a reward Jesus wants you to know about. That if you give, when you pray, when you fast, there's a reward for that. It's probably not the reward we sometimes think we want, but it's absolutely the reward we need. And I think what it simply is, is we're becoming more like him. If we give and we pray and we fast with the right mentality, I'm not doing this to perform for anybody in this room. I'm doing this because I want to be more like my Savior. We're going to receive that reward. And that's how we practice these things in the right way. If you think about it, religious hypocrisy is actually, it can be seen as an expression of atheism. It comes from a place of deep unbelief. What you're saying when you go about these things in a hypocritical way is you're saying, I don't really believe that my Father in heaven sees me and knows about this, and I don't believe he will reward me, so I need to find other people that I can impress. I need to somehow or another, even in a covert way, uh, exhibit my religious deeds and performance. I need them to know about it so that they can appreciate the effort I'm putting into this. Because evidently God's not seeing, and, and that's not, you know, Think about this, little thought experiment. Imagine if next Saturday night we're gathering here for service and Jesus walks in, all right? Jesus walks down the aisle and sits right here in the front row staring up at me, 
okay? Now, how do you think that would change the room? How do you think it would affect me? I can tell you right now, I would be completely horrified. And all of you would disappear in my mind. Because the only thing I would be thinking is, I hope Jesus doesn't hate my sermon. In fact, I would hope he would be the one doing the preaching for one thing. But let's say Jesus just insisted, no, Ryan, I'm going to sit here on the front row. You do your thing. You preach your sermon, and I'll sit here and watch you stare through your soul and take notes, you know? <laughs> I, I, don't, I would not care what any of you think. I really wouldn't. All I would care about is, what does he think? That's all that matters. And that's, Jesus is saying, that's how I want you to go about all of these things. When you give, when you pray, when you fast, don't do it to be seen by others. All that matters is that your father sees and he will reward you. He will redeem these practices in your life. If we're doing them in the right way, it's gonna produce health and fruit and we will receive that reward. I wanna show you one of my favorite quotes from Soren Kierkegaard a famous uh, Danish uh, theologian. Look at what he says, real powerful. A sparrow, a fly, an insect, is an object of God's concern. It is not a wasted or lost life, but masses of mimickers in a crowd of copycats are wasted lives. What faith it takes to believe that one's life is noticed by God and that this is enough. Look at that last sentence. What faith it takes to believe that one's life is noticed by God and that this is enough. I mean, so many of us, we know that consciously in our minds, but to actually believe and live this way, that I don't need people's appreciation of my religious performance, all that matters to me is that God sees and knows, and that is enough. That takes real faith to believe and live that way. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I mean, that takes Sermon on the Mount faith, Jesus faith. See, there, there's a craziness about faith. And by that, I'm not talking about a recklessness, but there is a, there's an oddity to real faith. Like, if the way that you live your life if an atheist could look at your life and say, oh, that looks completely rational to me, something's off. And I mean that. We ought to live our lives in such a way that if it turns out God didn't exist, our lives would look utterly incomprehensible. Like, why is it, why is it that we would give sacrificially? on a regular basis, what, what would motivate us to practice sacrificial giving as a rhythm in our life? Why would we do that? How do we explain that? How do we justify that? It's simply because I believe, I believe my father sees in secret and he will reward me. How is it that we would talk to someone in prayer, talk to someone who we've never seen, who we can't see on a regular basis? Why would we do that? Like, do you see how that would open, in us, open us up to ridicule in our culture? People look at us and say, you silly Christians talking to your imaginary friend every single day. And what do we say? How, how could we defend ourselves? It's simply, I believe. I have faith that my father hears 
in secret. And then why would we practice fasting, going without meals, and it's not to lose weight? Why, would, why in the world would anybody do that? It's simply because I believe my father sees in secret, okay? So, so let's talk about this fasting business. I'm not gonna preach very long tonight. I'm probably about halfway through actually, but what, what, is, what is it about fasting? What, first of all, what is fasting? Fasting is an ancient spiritual practice where we go without food for a certain period of time, whether it's for a meal, for a, for a day, for three days, seven days, 21 days, however long. We know of people in the Bible who even fasted up to 40 days. Um, but we go without food for a certain period of time. It's an ancient practice. Christians have done this for 2,000 years, and even before that, just if you include the entire Judeo-Christian movement, it dates back over 3,000 years. We go without food for a certain period of time as a spiritual discipline. Now, it's my observation, and this is just my own experience, but if you were to make a list of all of the spiritual practices that Christians engage in, so like, let's just try to think of some of the practices that Christians engage in, some of their habits and disciplines. So we think of, for example, worship, the discipline of worship, gathering together on a weekend like this with our brothers and sisters, and we worship together. The practice of giving or tithing, the practice of prayer, reading and reflecting on scripture, the practice of serving, okay? These are all spiritual disciplines. Out of all of the spiritual disciplines that Christians have practiced for 2,000 years, in my opinion, fasting is probably the most neglected. How many of you would agree with me? Fasting is at least, at least it's, on the, it's near the bottom of the list in terms of especially evangelical Christians. Fasting is one of those practices we tend to neglect. And it's been my observation that a lot of times, if and when Christians do practice fasting, usually it's arbitrary and it's spontaneous and it's sort of like this last resort mechanism that we're trying to use in order to get God to do something we want him to do. So here you have somebody who's in a tight spot, they're in a tough circumstance, they, they, want, they want a solution to their problem, and they've been praying, but they haven't been getting what they want, and so finally they try fasting, and they're like, oh man, it's even come to this, I'm even fasting. Like I tried prayer, and prayer's not working, so now I'm gonna go on a hunger strike and try to twist God's arm to get God to do what I think God ought to do. So, so a lot of Christians, that's how we look at fasting. It's just something we do as a last resort in order to get God, manipulate God to give us a certain outcome. I want you to know that's not the kind of fasting that's endorsed in Scripture. It's really, if you think about it, it's fasting as a form of panic rather than as part of our spiritual formation. Why do we worship? Why do we pray? Why do we reflect on scripture? Because we want to be more like Jesus. Well, that's also why we want to participate in fasting. That's the number one reason. I fast because I want Jesus to mold me in his character. And that's the motivation for why. Amen? All right. So, so what I want to do this weekend, starting this week, and when I say this, some of you are going to be like, oh, man, I came on the wrong weekend. I'm definitely not going to listen to this podcast. But if you'll, if you'll let me preach the whole sermon, when I share with you what I'm going to invite you to join me in, 
By the end of the sermon, if I will halfway have done my job, I think you're going to be excited about this. But what I want us to do at Village, this is going to be a new initiative that I'm just inviting you to join me on. It's, you're free to decide if you will or not. But I want us at Village Church this week to begin to recover the ancient Christian practice of the Friday fast. Now, here's, here's what it looks like is that every Friday on a weekly basis, you take one meal. And typically, as the ancient Christians practiced this, typically it would be the, the middle of the day meal. So, so just think lunch, basically, which is entirely attainable. But you take the Friday lunch period and you fast, you, you go without food. If you, if you say, up until 4 p.m., I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna consume any food. And this is what the ancient Christians would do, and they would do it on Friday of the week. And, and Friday was not an arbitrary day. It was the day of the crucifixion. So it was a weekly commemoration of the crucifixion, just like every Sunday when we gather with brothers and sisters in Christ to worship, Sunday is the day of the resurrection. It's a weekly commemoration of the resurrection. That's why most of us at Village worship on Sundays. So Friday is now a weekly commemoration of the crucifixion, through, uh, through the weekly fast on, on Friday. Now, why in the world do we do this? There's, there's several components to this. First of all, we live in an age, in a culture, where I think one of the number one idols of our society is consumerism. We live in a hyper-consumeristic society, and that's how we're formed to think. We want to think of ourselves as consumers. It's the way we approach everything else. It's the way we choose our jobs. It's the way we choose schools. It's the way we choose where we're going to eat, where we're going to shop, what kind of car we're going to drive. Every moment of every day of every week, we think like consumers. But what we confess when we come here is the truth. We are not consumers. We are worshipers. And yet our culture forms us in the mentality of consumerism. And, and as, a, as a result of that, we tend to assess ourselves and our success in life and how we're doing on the basis of the quality of things we can buy. And that's how we're trained to judge our own value as well as evaluate uh, other people. We tend to evaluate ourselves and others on the basis of things like how nice their house is, what neighborhood they live in, what car they drive, what clothes they wear, uh, what their status is, what their, what their career is. And, and we just, even without thinking about it, we tend to rank and file people on that basis. And every one of us in this room, to some degree, is impacted by that. We can't help it. Just by virtue of being Americans, we are shaped by the values of consumerism. It's, it's, it's forced us, it's pressured us into that mold. And, and we can't help it. It's the air we breathe, it's the water we swim in. So watch this. The Friday fast is a form of prayerful resistance against the idol of our age. On that one meal of the week, Friday at lunch, so it's not like this epic thing here, it's just one meal, but on that one at that one time period during the week, it's Friday, it's, it's around noon, I'm feeling hungry, I'm craving some In-N-Out burger, I wanna go get a double-double combo, but on this one meal of the week, I say no. 
because I'm saying I am not a consumer. That's not who I am. That's not my identity. My purpose in life is not to go through life consuming. I am a worshiper. And so I'm saying no to that urge, and I'm reminding myself, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So I'm inviting you. I'm not making you or compelling you. It's entirely voluntary. But I'm inviting you to participate with me starting this week in this weekly Friday fast. Now, how you go about it is entirely up to you. Maybe Friday lunchtime just doesn't work for your schedule. Fine, pick another meal, pick another time. And we're not going to be legalistic about it either. If, if, it's your, if it's your birthday, have your birthday lunch. If you're on vacation, if you're on that all-you-can-eat cruise, enjoy yourself, right? So we're not going to be legalistic about it. But think about it this way. Let's say that you participate in the Friday fast three Fridays out of four every month. Three out of four weeks every month you participate in the Friday fast. What you've essentially done is you've gone on a 40-day fast that year. It's just that you've taken this practice of fasting rather than being an arbitrary, spontaneous thing. Now that you've taken it and you've worked it into the rhythm of your life, which I think is the best way to go about the spiritual disciplines. And that's how we approach everything else. It ought to be the way we approach things. So for example, every one of us, hopefully, or at least most of us, have a weekly rhythm of worship. Some of you, it's your habit to be right here where you are on Saturday nights. And the folks that are going to be here tomorrow, it's their habit to be right here on Sunday mornings. It's a weekly rhythm. Worship is part of a rhythm. Here at Village, communion, there's a rhythm to it. Usually every first weekend of the month, we practice communion. Same thing with giving, with tithing. My wife and I, I'm I'm a huge believer in tithing. Not because I have a black and white verse for it, for it, but what it does is it takes the discipline of giving and it works it into a rhythm. My, the first 10% of my paycheck goes directly to God. I just believe in that. I believe that's a healthy thing to do for me in an age of consumerism and individuality and selfishness is to say, no, this belongs to God and I'm going to say it every single week in my tithe check. And, and so we, we have a rhythm to these things. Even prayer. Some of you, how many of you have taken prayer school or a prayer workshop? We're going to be doing that, you know, yearly, at least yearly here at Village. Well, so many of you, you've started that, that prayer track where we have our psalm for the day and we have our prayer for the week. Again, you're taking prayer and you're making it a rhythm. So all we're doing here is now we're going to take the discipline of fasting. And now we're going to apply a rhythmic cadence in our lives to the practice of fasting, and the purpose is now it's formational. It's forming me. It's shaping me. I'm not doing this to try to twist God's arm to do something for me. I'm doing it because I want to be more like Jesus, and my favorite thing about it is that we're doing it together. It's not just me, myself, and I. We're all on the journey together, all right? So how many of you excited so far? All right. How many of you are a little bit more like, eh, okay? Well, here's where I think I'll convince you, because there's a whole nother part of this. There's a whole nother part to the Friday fast, and it involves this box right here. Some of you are wondering what this is. Uh, A couple months ago, I had Linda Steele, one of our master craftsmen here at Village Church. She made this. I think uh, Jean Wirtz also helped her get some of the materials. I want to make sure they get credit, but uh, Linda made this beautiful, pristine wooden box for me, exactly the way I told her to make it, and... uh, Starting next week, this box is going to be somewhere in the back. And here's what I'm going to invite you to do. Is 
Not only are we going to go without food for that Friday lunch period, but the whole other part of it is this. We're going to take whatever money we would have spent on lunch that day, whether it's $2, I mean, we're going to get a $2 meal, but uh, $5, $10, whatever it might have been. You, you were going to go to In-N-Out, but you didn't. You were going to get some, you were going to make some tomato soup at home, but you didn't. So you're going to take whatever you would have spent on lunch, and then we're going to collect it that, that, that weekend. You're going to just come in and maybe put it that box. You can also do it online, but I kind of like the idea of dropping it in a, in a box. We're going to put it in this box every week, and however often is necessary, we're going to take that money, and we're going to use it to help people in need. Whether it's people in our church, periodically we have people in our church who are in need, or whether it's a need in our community that we know about. And, uh, and, and periodically, as we're able to do that, whether it's a, it probably won't be on a weekly basis, but maybe monthly, maybe a couple months, we'll, we'll have a need that we can, that we can uh, contribute to. You're going to get a report in the bulletin about how we spent our Friday fast money every time. Every penny of it is going to go directly to help somebody who's in need. And in fact, this fall, when we lay out our small groups, we're going to be launching small groups this fall. We're going to be working on that the next couple months. But one of the things we're going to ask our small group uh, our small groups to do and all of our existing classes is at least once maybe twice a year together as a group or as a class come up with and work together on some type of project where you're serving together serving someone um, and it could there's a billion ideas but maybe somebody in the group has a neighbor who needs some lawn work or something well conceivably the funding for those types of projects can come out of the Friday fast fund so you see how all of this works. Now I'm fasting, and it's not just about me. My fasting is going to contribute to help somebody else. And let me tell you something. That's the kind of fasting that gets God's attention. And that's the last thing I want to show you here. Look at, verse, uh, look at chapter 58 of Isaiah, where God's talking about the kind of fasting that gets his attention. I'm not going to go through the whole chapter, but if you'll just give me about five minutes, I want to go through the first nine verses and just pick out a couple things here. But look at verse 1 here. Shout out, he's talking to Isaiah here. Shout out, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Announce to my people their rebellion to the house of Jacob, their sins. So here you have the prophet Isaiah and God saying, I'm, I'm gonna use you to bring correction to my people. Something's wrong with Israel. There's rebellion. And so I want you to lift up your voice like a trumpet and bring correction. But there's something interesting here at the beginning of verse 2. Look at what it says here. Yet day after day, they seek me and delight to know my ways. Now, wait a minute. These people are about to get rebuked. They're about to get corrected. And yet right here, it's saying every day they seek me and they delight to know my ways. That kind of sounds pretty good to me. But there's a problem here. Watch what he says. Yet day after day, they seek me and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me for righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. And here he has Israel saying this, verse three, why do we fast, but you do not see God? Why humble ourselves, but you do not notice? So these people are fasting. These people are praying. They're very spiritual people. They worship. They have these spiritual practices in their lives, the same ones that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. They're doing all of these things, giving, praying, worship, fasting, and yet 
it doesn't seem to be getting God's attention. And they wonder why. They're like, God, you know, you're not getting us what we want. We're fasting, but you don't seem to notice. We're fasting, but uh, you're not coming through for us here. What's the deal? And so now God responds in verse, the latter part of verse 3. Look, you serve your own interest on your fast day and oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Verse 5. Is such a fast that I choose a day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Now, now you read that and you want to say, well, well, yes. But the answer to these questions is actually No. See, it's very easy for us to say, you know what, I I attend church, I pray, I read scripture, I give, I serve, I do all of these different things. But, But folks, listen, if you're harsh with the people around you, if you're unloving towards the people you work with and, and live with, God is totally concerned about that too. It's not just love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's love your neighbor as yourself. Amen? And so here's what God really wants to see happen. Here's, watch where he goes. He just kind of goes off here, verses six and seven. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin. Folks, you know, there there are just some people for whom life has been very tough. No matter what the source, their life has been very tough, and they don't have enough. And so what we're going to do is we're going to collect what we would have spent Friday lunch, and we're going to bring it here, and we're going to use it to help these people. And it kind of sounds to me like Matthew 25, that parable of the sheep and the goats. Remember when, when Jesus... He, he, he announces and he says, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was sick and in prison and you visited me. And he says, whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done unto me. In some mysterious way, Jesus himself identifies with the poor, the sick, the stranger, the alien, and the imprisoned. And so part of this fast is to care for those kinds of people. And then finally, let's look at verses 8 and 9, and I'll be done. Uh, Go ahead and come up, Daniel. He says, Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. How many of you would love for every time you cry out for help? The Lord says, here I am. Amen. God just, he, he just, he gets excited about this kind of activity in a church. And so what we want to do is we want to take this spiritual discipline. We want to we see it as a formative practice, giving up a meal as a form of prayerful resistance against the idolatrous practices of consumerism in our culture. And we want to combine that 
with caring for the needy among us. That, that I'm hungry, I would love to go to Panda Express and get some teriyaki chicken in my stomach, but I'm gonna say no. And I'm gonna take whatever money I would have spent and I'm gonna bring it here to Village Church. I'm gonna put it in this box and we're gonna use it. It's gonna go forth to help people. And it's very simple. It's a very simple concept. And yet God gets excited about that kind of stuff. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org.